this morning and open it to Ephesians chapter 5. And what we're going to do this morning is continue our journey together through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We're almost done. Actually, next week is the finish of this series. Um, And what we've been learning throughout this series is that it is God's agenda in our lives. And you're going to say, I've heard this before. Yet you're right. And I'm glad that you can remember that you've heard this before. Socrates said teaching is 90% reminding, so I'm reminding that God's agenda in your life and mine is to grow us to the place where we begin to take his word on its own terms. What do I mean by that? Well, when we're young and immature, we tend to go to our parents thinking that whatever concerns occupy our hearts in that moment are the most important thing. We proceed as if we know what matters most. But as we grow up, we begin to listen to our parents' understanding that their wisdom and perception and love is greater than our own. We begin to let them set the agenda. And God wants us each to go on that journey with him, to move from the place of saying, God, here's my life. What does your word say about it? That's, that's what we do when we're young. To the point where we say, God, I want to hear what you say about what you want to talk to me about, and then I'll go back and apply that to my life. That's what Christian maturity looks like. So we've been walking together through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We find ourselves in chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. We're going to all the way through, go all the way through chapter 6, verse 9 this morning. And, and let me begin by asking for a show of hands, who just absolutely loves and can't wait to practice submission to other people? Go ahead, raise your hand. Not all at once. Yeah, almost nobody. Did you see that? Our understanding of submission is such that we constantly seek to avoid it. And this morning, what God wants to talk to us about is the fact that we do profoundly misunderstand submission, that in fact, submission is a gift that he gives us from the very center of his heart, and that his call to submission is the only road to the greatest joy we'll ever know. Now, why do I say that? We're going to talk about that. First, I want to share a story with you. Now, I want to apologize ahead of time because some of you have heard this story before. But as I prayed this week, I realized I can't come up with a better story to illustrate what we're about to talk about. So bear with me for just a moment. Those of you who haven't heard this story, about 30 years ago when Ron and I were in youth ministry, uh, one summer I came up with a a dream. I was going to take a bunch of kids on a a hiking and camping trip in the Olympic National Forest. We were going to go up there. We are going to spend a whole week, uh, five days, four nights. And what we were going to do was camp at a central spot, take day hikes to lakes and rivers and so on all during the week. and, And also, as a group, walk all the way together through Mark's Gospel teach the kids about Mark's gospel, discuss what it teaches us. I was so excited about it. We had uh, 35, 40 kids sign up for it, made a bunch of preparations. I thought if we go in the middle of August, there's no chance that it will rain. I was stupid in those days, right? And so uh, we headed out. And, you know, they're young, they're strong. So my plan was that the first day we're going to hike 10 miles back into base camp. And then we're going to set up and work from there. So we did. It was a glorious day. We got back up in there and uh, set up camp and uh, had a cool dinner in the campfire and, and started our journey together. When we went to bed that night, though, even though it was gorgeous and clear, overnight, the most unbelievable storm you can ever imagine blew in. And it rained like it was Noah all over again. I mean, it dumped buckets of water, rivers of water, uh, standing pools of water. I'll never forget, my tent was on a little bit of an incline, and 
there was so much rain that the bottom of it started to fill up with water. And, you know, it's one in the morning, and so you're just trying to get through it. And I'd crawl up to the corner of my tent and fall asleep. And once my body relaxed, I would slide down into the water again. Ah, and wake up, you know, and you do that all night long. Everybody was doing that. And it was raining so hard, blowing so hard that some tents fell down and people were crowding into each other's tents. It was a miserable night. We got up the next morning and I looked around and realized, we got to bail. We can't do this. You know, everything is soaked. Uh, Everybody's miserable. We just got to bail. It's just the way it is. So I said, hey, gang, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hike all the way out today. We're going to get in touch with the parents. They'll pick you up, you know, and we'll, we'll head home because everybody's pretty miserable. I mean, I got girls crying. I got guys crying. It was bad, you know, that morning. But one of the things that I did was I said, hey, fellas, let me pull you aside. And so I pulled the guys aside. And one of the things that I really stressed when I was a youth pastor to the guys, the young guys, was that I wanted them to learn to serve the women. I wanted them to learn to show respect and consideration for the ladies, like God teaches, not in a chauvinist way, but in a real genuine way. I wanted them to learn to look at the ladies as something more than objects, as something more than, you know, trophies. And so we did a lot of things where the guys would always load and unload the girls' luggage and would eat only after they had eaten and would open doors for them. We did a lot of stuff like that. So I saw an opportunity to seize the moment. And I pulled the guys aside and I said, fellas, we're going to hike out. Here's, here's what you need to understand is that after all this downpour, everybody's gear is twice as heavy as it was before, twice as hard to carry. And here's the thing. God made you, generally speaking, stronger than the ladies. And there's a reason for that. He made you stronger physically so that you can serve them. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pair up each one of you with one of the girls and you're going to carry all their gear back out of here. You never heard such whining and crying. You never heard such complaining and moaning and, oh, that's not fair, and on and on and on. I said, no, it's not fair that you're made stronger and you don't understand you're to serve and blah. So I had a near rebellion, but I convinced them, right? And so they all paired up and they got most of the girls' stuff and they loaded it up and we headed out and it was a grumbling bunch. Can I just tell you that? They are like not happy campers until... We got to the parking lot at the end of the hike until they walked into the parking lot and saw all the girls' families waiting for them. Then a supernatural transformation occurred. (laughs) And suddenly the guys were like, hello, Mr. Smith. Yes, I carried your daughter's stuff all the way down the mountain. Here, let me load it into your car. Let me get that door for you. Yeah, that's what I did, you know. (laughs) Going to their own parents. Guess I I carried her stuff. Did you see that, you know? You never saw a bunch of guys strut like that in your life. You're like, look what we did. Now, here's why I tell you that story. Because you and I are made for that kind of submission. We're designed for it. We are created for it. Because that kind of submission is something God practices and enjoys. And that he calls us to discover and enjoy as well. We are made to submit. That goes against the grain of everything in our culture. But it is what God teaches us in his word. It is what Jesus models and calls us to repeatedly. Let me say it again. You are made. I am made to submit. You know, when I think about this, I think also of my time in the military. I left high school, went straight into the Marines. The Marines is kind of, in in protocol terms, the most strict of the services. So even above and beyond the other ones, there's a lot of emphasis on submission. 
And one of the things that I had to get used to when I went in was, gosh, there's all these rules about submission. If somebody walks into the room with a little piece of metal on their collar, we're all supposed to stand up and come to attention and remain standing there till that person gives us permission to sit down. That wasn't how I grew up. That wasn't how you grew up. And then we're supposed to call these people sir. And we're supposed to defer to their plans and their ideas. And we're supposed to obey their commands and salute them and conduct ourselves in all these ways that were just not normal. And at first, it is incredibly awkward. Can I just tell you that? You, sometimes you look at these people that you're supposed to salute and you're thinking, really? <laughs> you know, that person? You know, that person's a dork, you know, and so on. But you do this. And then, then an amazing thing happens. After a while you start to feel this incredible bond that is created among you by this submission. You start to realize that everybody's submitting to somebody, that we're all doing it as part of a whole. And pretty soon there's this feeling that you're, a, you're all one, you're a team, you're a unit, and it's, it's bigger than a football team or a soccer team or even a band. It's deeper than that. And in fact, where you end up with at the end of this journey is you're kind of feeling sorry for people who've never experienced it. Most of the people who've never experienced it are glad they've never experienced it. They think, wow, that'd be awful. I'm glad I've never had to do that. And you're over there feeling sorry for them. You're thinking, wow, you've never got to know what this is all about. You've never got to feel what this feels like. Now, I share those two illustrations with you because in the passage of Scripture in front of us, God's going to call us to submit. And he's going to call us to submit in some specific ways and for some specific reasons. But his agenda at every point is that we might experience a joy that can't be experienced any other way. For example, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus didn't go to the cross primarily out of duty, and he didn't go primarily out of passion. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, he knew that his submission was the road to joy. God wants to talk to us about that for the next 15, 20 minutes or so. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21 and moving down through chapter 6, verse 9. Let's read the passage, and then we'll talk about it a little bit together. Here's what the Bible says to us. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that's the context in which everything Paul's about to say is resting. Submit to one another, all of you, out of reverence for Christ. Then he's going to make it specific. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, not necessarily the brains, but the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Well, that's intense. That's heavy. That's a big deal. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church. The emphasis is on what Jesus did that we ought to model as husbands. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives, even as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body but feeds it and cares for it, 
just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one. How? Through mutual submission. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. There's the love and the respect that's at the center of our fall marriage journey on Friday nights. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then, again, mutual submission. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Then he moves it to the workplace. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Today we would say employees. Do it with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And catch this, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Sometimes we teach this submission in the workplace at church as if it's the key to success. God takes it a step further. He says, don't just do it to win their favor when their eye is on you, but do it like slaves of Jesus, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving, as if you were doing your job for the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. And here comes the mutual submission again. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Church, let's take a few minutes and talk about this. Notice that throughout, from start to finish of this passage that we just read, the call of God to you and I is to practice mutual submission. That's very significant. In other words, submission is not something God calls some of us to do and others not to do, but it is a mutual, ongoing deferral of each of us to each other. That is a big deal. And we're going to come back to it in a moment. Paul says, I'm talking about the mystery of Christ in the church. We're going to touch on that in just a moment. But first, let's understand that God calls us to submit in this passage in three very specific places. The first one is inside of a marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Now, before I talk about the particulars of that, let me make something clear. The submission that God is talking about doesn't extend to or include abuse. Okay? Biblically speaking, there are two grounds on which God's word reveals to us that the divorce is permissible. One is where there has been marital infidelity. One member, the husband, the wife, has broken the marriage covenant in terms of physical intimacy. Where that has occurred, the other spouse, the scripture says, is free not only to divorce but to remarry. That's explicit. The other one that's implicit is wherever there is physical abuse. If you're being hit, if you're being injured, if you're being attacked physically, then God says, get out of that marriage. You are free to escape from that marriage. You're not called to submit to that. However, beyond those boundaries, the scripture very specifically and clearly calls each one of us who are married to practice a personal submission to our spouse. Wives, God calls you to let your husband be the leader of your home. He is asking you to enable that 
to help that to happen, to, by your personal submission, build up his leadership. Now, whenever I say that, there's always those of us who start making lists in our heads. Where specifically? What are the exact boundaries of that so I could find that? God doesn't give us those particulars because it's the attitude, it's the spirit that is much bigger. If he gave us that list of one, two, threes, that's all we'd do. We know how to play by the rules. What we rarely know how to do is get beyond it. And so God doesn't say, ladies, here's the one, two, three, here's the fine print, you can do this and not do this. And not. He says, no, no, I want you to submit with your whole heart. Sometimes that's going to mean more than could ever be put in a list. Practice submission. Can I just tell you at the risk of embarrassing my wife, she's incredible at this. You know, we're going to have our 35th marriage anniversary or wedding anniversary next month. And I cannot tell you how many times she has at a tough time in our journey together come to me after sharing her opinion. And can I just tell you, my wife knows how to share her opinion. <laughs> and people say, well, she's so quiet. Well, you don't live with her. But anyway, <laughs> seriously, she'll come to me after we've discussed something and maybe even debated something. And, and after all is said and done, she'll say, honey... I trust you. You're the leader of our home. Whatever decision you make, I'm good with. I trust God. I trust you. I can't tell you how much that means to me. Every time I hear that, she makes me a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better Christian. Every time she does that, I feel the seriousness of her obedience, and it inspires me. God calls you, ladies, to do that, to be that in your marriage. Fellas, what God calls you and I to is more demanding by an order of magnitude. He says, guys, become a sacrifice for your wife. Give up your whole life for her. He's not merely calling you fellas to submit to her leadership. He's calling you to sacrifice your existence for her. The Bible tells us this is what Jesus did and it was the proof of his love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then God says, hey, husbands, I'm calling you to do that in your marriage. Once you walk down that aisle and you say, I do, and you enter into the covenant of marriage, now your life comes second to her welfare, to her well-being, for her good. You choose a job that's best for her. You choose a home that's best for her. You organize your week in the way that's best for her. You are called to be a sacrifice, fellas. And God calls you to this because he knows where you will find joy. And the whole world says that it won't be by being a sacrifice, but there's a part of you that knows better. You've probably heard me say before that I don't cry very much. Very often has to do with working in the ER and riding the ambulance. You had to put your emotions away. But I do get misty-eyed. And the moment that always gets me is when I see someone making a sacrifice on behalf of somebody else. I read a story recently about a young man named Salvo du Quisto. He was a lieutenant in the Italian army and found himself on the morning of the 23rd of September, 1943. He's well-known in Italy found himself in the presence of an SS detachment from the occupying German army that had rounded up 22 young men from the village in which he lived and was preparing to execute them by firing squad. Why? 
Well, the day before, uh, a resistance fighter had set off a bomb. It had killed a couple of German soldiers, wounded several more, and the SS was taking revenge. And they were attempting to tamp down this uh, resistance by, by murdering 22 young men in the village. They didn't care who did it. They were just going to kill 22 because they couldn't find who did it. Salvo, seeing this happen, discovered within himself something he didn't know was there. And he went to the German officer and said, you know what, I did it. He didn't, but he went and said, I did it. It was me. I planted the bomb. These guys had nothing to do with it. I'll confess it publicly. You can execute me. He was executed by firing squad that morning. Those 22 young men went on to live full lives. Now, when I tell that story, fellas, something in you leaps. Something in you says, that's awesome. Wow. I hope I could be that brave. I hope I could be that good. I hope I could be that strong. Yeah, see, that's the way you're designed, guys. And the more you own that, the more you learn that you are made to be a... You will gain more self-respect by making yourself a sacrifice for your wife than you will any other way. Very often I see couples separate because the guy says, you know, she doesn't respect me. I'm losing myself saying, dude, if you'll learn to submit to her, you'll discover yourself goes both ways. This mutual submission is what God calls us to in our marriages. And can I tell you that the greatest single thing you can do for your marriage is to choose to submit to your spouse. Try it today and you'll begin to discover the reality of it. The more you do it, the better your marriage will be. This is what Wesley from the Princess Bride knew in his bones. And this is why he said to Princess Buttercup over and over, as you wish. Farm boy, go fetch a pail of water, as you wish. Farm boy, go sweep out the barn, as you wish. Because he knew the power of submission. And in the same way, God calls us to recognize it. Not only in your marriage, but in your family. Look at what Paul goes on to say. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. God says he will bless that choice, that decision in tangible ways. This is the first commandment with a promise. And you know what? While it's principally directed at the time when we're under our parents' authority in their home, when we're smaller children, the reality extends far beyond that, just as the command to honor your father and mother extends beyond that. Because God knows that when we submit to that, we experience something we can't experience any other way. When I was in Bible college doing pastoral counseling classes, one of the things that struck me was how many dysfunctions inside of people psychologically are rooted in the brokenness of their relationship with their parents. Not all, but very many. One of the things Dr. Parlas taught us was to, to address that, to get into that, to explore that and break that down. Because when we honor our parents something inside of us is made right in a way that it can't be any other way. You know, I grew up in a tough home. It's no secret. And I grew up wanting nothing more than to get even with my dad. But when I became a believer, Jesus said, I want you to honor him. I thought, that is insane. Until I began to obey him. And then I started to learn that my dad was just a young guy trying to raise kids no different than me. And I was able to let him off the hook and I was able to stop seeking from him something only God can give me. And then I was able to honor him and then I was able to love him in ways I never imagined were possible. And today, we have a great relationship. Why? Because I learned to honor him. God says, if you'll submit to that call, 
that commandment comes with a promise. It will go well with you. Not only in the marriage but in the family, and in the family, but also at work. God is explicit about how we ought to conduct ourselves in our relationship with our employers. Listen to what he says. And if it's true for slaves, how much more for employees? He says, serve them wholeheartedly. Not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but serve them with uh, the sense that you are actually serving God. That's what verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 6 says. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not men. That means to go above and beyond. Why? Verse 8 tells us, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. Do you believe that? Do you know how extravagantly God rewards? Work will be a different place when you do. Don't just go to, you know, deliver pizza or drive a truck or build a house. Go saying, I'm here, Jesus, to serve you today. I'm going to submit to my masters because I know that what I'm really doing is submitting to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that at your work, God is storing up reward for you? He tells us it's true. That's the difference between believing in God and believing God. And so he calls us to this submission. And by the way, it's mutual. Maybe you're here, you're not an employee, you're an employer. Notice that it goes both ways. Look at verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. With that same kind of respect, with that same kind of deference, with that same kind of regard, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. See, the submission that God calls us to is always mutual. Always mutual. And God says, that's where you'll find the deepest and greatest joy. Now, we're almost done this morning, but I have to touch on something profound. Paul says, I'm talking about a profound mystery. Let's talk about that before we wrap up this morning. Our Christian faith is completely different from every other religion in the world in one very specific and profound way, in many ways, but in one just transcendent way. We worship a God whom the Bible reveals to us as a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Not three gods, but three persons who are one God. Now you say, I can't wrap my head around that. Of course not. What else would you expect when you encounter the nature of the real God? It's transcendent. So we can't fully grasp it, but the scripture is explicit about it. The Bible tells us that there is one God over and over and over again, makes it abundantly clear. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is uh, still practiced to this day in synagogue worship as the fundamental cry of our faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is one God. And yet within that, we find the Father referred to as God. We find the Son also referred to as God. We find the Holy Spirit also referred to as God. And so what we derive from that is this reality called the Trinity. Here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. The scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. Most people hear that, and they think it means God is loving. While that is certainly true, that is not what 1 John 4, 8 says. It says God is love. Generally speaking, the world around us hears that and thinks, well, love is God. So whenever we do things that are sentimentally appealing, uh, you know, that make us feel good or get warm fuzzies, well, that's God. Well, that's not what 1 John 4, 8 says. That's what we call being a hippie, and that was supposed to be over in the 70s, right? So, you know, the scripture doesn't say love is God. 
It says God is love. Well, if it doesn't mean God is loving, and if it doesn't mean love is God, what does it mean? It means that God is that unbroken, mutually submissive relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit that's been going on for all eternity and that will go on for all eternity. The Son, Jesus says, I speak only what the Father tells me, John chapter 12. Regarding the Holy Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit's not going to speak on his own. He's going to take from what I have said and make it known to you, John chapter 16. The Father is going to defer his wrath and hold back from his hatred for sin and injustice while the Son and the Spirit do their redemptive work in our world, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And there is among them this cooperative, mutually submissive, ongoing, never-ending deferral to one another. Here's why it matters so much to you and I, and we're almost done. Most people have no idea what the second of the Ten Commandments is about. It says you shall make no graven image. Don't make an image. You're thinking, I wasn't planning to. <laughs> I have no desire to put, you know, garden statuary in my backyard. I don't even, why, why am I even tempted to do that? I'm not tempted to do that. But the reason that God tells us to make no image, church, hear me, is because we're intended to be the image that in our love for one another within our families or our workplaces or our churches or our marriages or our nations, that within our love and mutual submission to one another, we mimic and make visible God. So this call to submission not only has to do with our own experience of his kind of life, his joy, it also has to do with our testimony to the world around us. When we live in this kind of mutual uh, love and submission, loving submission, we make God visible. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 4, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. You see, this submission thing is deep and big and strong, and it is what we are called to as believers because in it, we discover his kind of life. Can I just tell you that Ron and I, uh, we just took our second trip to Europe, our bicycle trip, and we've kind of got a method down now when we ride our bikes. And I'm in charge of navigation, so I got my phone clipped on my handlebars. It's got my little apps on here showing us where we're going, GPS, all this kind of stuff. I ride in back, Rhonda rides in front. She sets the pace, I do the navigating. So there's kind of back and forth constantly. Now, if I set the pace, I'm an idiot, and I go way too fast and up over the hill and leave her behind because, you know, God made us different physically because I'm stupid, right? But if we do this thing together, she sets the pace that keeps us together the whole time. I'm the one constantly checking the app to make sure we're going in the right place, and this beautiful thing happens. So beautiful, in fact, that we keep looking at each other stupidly and go, we're doing this, isn't this awesome? It's actually happening right? And every time we go, we come back with the same feeling. I want to do that with you again, or something like that with you again. See, God wants you to discover that. It only happens in submission. It happens through and because of our choice to submit to one another. So let's finish. We've got five minutes left. Let's talk about the practical ways in which God calls us to do that. Simple things you can do this week, and then we'll be done. Number one, write these down. Four things, five minutes. How to practice mutual submission. First of all, remember who you are in Christ. The Bible says that, John chapter 13, Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and started washing feet. See, he knew he had nothing to lose. He knew that submission would not diminish him in any way. So he embraced it. Do you know that? Do you believe that? When you realize how important you are to your father, it sets you free to serve 
in the smallest and most menial of ways because you know you've got nothing to lose. Jesus was not diminished by washing feet. In fact, he grew greater in our eyes and in our hearts. When you remember who you are, it sets you free to serve. The power to submit comes from knowing that you belong to God. Number two, believe in your reward. Ephesians 6 says, serve wholeheartedly because you know the Lord will reward everything for whatever, everyone for whatever good he does, whether slave or free. You can do anything once you know the reward. You can do anything once you feel the reward. And God promises it in no uncertain terms. Number three, understand where joy is really found. The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Yeah, you think, I'll hate it. No, actually, you won't. Instead, you will love it. Then finally, the last one. Get on your knees and fight like a man, stealing an old song title. The scripture says that when Jesus faced his greatest submission, he found the power to do it on his knees in prayer. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, not my will, but yours be done. Prayer is where the power to submit in your marriage or your family or your workplace is found. That's what it grows out of, those moments when you get in and you say, God, I know you're calling me to this. So help me do it. Help me do it, Lord. Your will be done, not mine. In moments like that, you find the power to follow through on the submission God is calling you to. Can I tell you a story as we finish this morning? Pastor Zach's sitting down in front here. I'm going to embarrass him. Um, we miss him around here a lot since he left our staff in April to serve the Northwest Network of the Assemblies of God, leading youth pastors all across the Northwest. He's doing a great job of it, but I'll never forget the day that he came to my house on his day off to share with me that he was going to receive this call from the network. Previous to that, we had talked about it some. He said, man, I love being here. I love what I do. I love this family. I love this people. Why would I ever want to leave? But I felt in my spirit as soon as our network superintendent called, yeah, that's going to happen. Because that's Zach's next step. I just felt that. I struggled with it too. And when he came to my house that day, he was bawling, big baby. He was crying. And he came in and he sat down at my table, it's just the two of us. He said, man, I don't want to do this. But I feel like Jesus is calling me. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I said, man, I don't want you to go. You're my best friend in ministry. I love working with you. But I know. I know God's calling you. And together we prayed and said, Lord, we submit to our network leadership. We submit to you. We don't want this. We know you do. We trust you more than we trust ourselves. And you know what? There's a joy growing inside of Zach deeper than any other one. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. So let me finish by asking you this. Who is God calling you to submit to? Is it your spouse? Is it your family? Is it the person you work for? Is it the people who work for you? Who is God calling you? Submission is always personal. And in this moment, he wants to invite you to step into it. So can I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment here? Just help those around you get a little kind of private moment. 
And who's the Holy Spirit calling you to submit to right now? Wives, is he calling you to submit to your husband? Don't be afraid of it. Down that road lies joy. Husbands, is he calling you to submit to your wives your whole life for her welfare? Down that road lies joy. Is he calling you to submit that person you work for that doesn't have a clue and makes dumb decisions? Down that road lies joy. Nothing is ever lost in submission, but something is always found. Where is God calling you to submit? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the call that you give us because you know so much more than we do. Because you love us so much more than we even dare imagine. God, we ask you to lead us into the the faith and courage to submit. God, send us from here today determined to do just that, just like you did, Jesus. We ask it this morning in your great name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah.